today we're going to finish up our bumper sticker theology series with a a bumper sticker that's maybe a bit different than the others. And, and what I mean by different is I don't know that people really believe this particular bumper sticker. Um, the other bumper stickers I, I, we've studied and looked at, people really do believe those things. I mean, that was a theology that they hold to, and, and by putting those bumper stickers on their car, they are, in fact, trying to convince us to believe that as well. But this bumper sticker isn't one that's to be taken literally, but it is still one that is trying to teach us about something. Right? And here, here's what it is. The devil made me do it. And there's, of course, different ones. The Flip Wilson quote is where it kind of, I guess he made it famous. Um, that one seems a little dark, but the, the idea, the devil made me do it. I don't think anyone legitimately believes the devil made them do it. I mean, not many people anyway. That would be a rare thing. But I do think that what this is trying to convey is, well, it's not my fault. Right? I mean, that's kind of the whole idea of the devil made me do it. It's not my fault. You know, we live in a culture where probably one of the worst things that you could do is tell someone that, that what they did, it was all their fault. They can't blame their raising. They can't blame their parents. They can't blame neighbor. They can't blame traffic. That it was just you. You did this. It is all your fault. And so we've come up with reasons why no one is to blame for anything that they do. And I think probably that mindset initially had a, a good idea, right? I mean, to kind of help people, maybe not make them feel so bad that they kind of give up at trying in life or whatever. But rather than help people, what we've done is we've just made them perpetual victims. Right? I mean, those with this, this victim mentality, they, they just constantly say, I can't help it. There, there's nothing I can do. It's not my fault. And the reason given why it's not their fault, it's probably going to differ from person to person. It may differ from... One part of the state to the next. I mean, just the, the reasons are varied just as people are varied. But it's that same victim mentality that is somewhat humorously expressed in the bumper sticker saying, the devil made me do it. But is that true? Are we nothing more than helpless victims to our passions and our urges. Are we just slaves. To our reactions. Are, are we. Just not able to do anything about. The stuff that we do that ain't right. Well the Bible answers that for us. Open your Bible today to Romans. Chapter 6. Verse 12 is where we're going to start. That's page 861. If you have a pew Bible. When you find that I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's word. Paul writes in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are under, we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. But do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more and more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. 
title of the message is, The Devil Made Me Do It. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we need you today to help us take this word and let it sink into our hearts and bring fruit in our lives. Father, in our blame-free culture, we all desperately need a reminder of where the responsibility for our actions lie. Lord, we need to be reminded that we are always responsible to no one else. We are responsible before you for the stuff we do in our lives. But God, at the same time, we need to be reminded that, that Lord, there is power in the cross of Jesus Christ and that we have been set free from slavery to sin. That we are able to live for you and for your glory and live a righteous life. God, you know the hearts and the minds of those that are here today. You know if any of us have kind of accepted a victim mentality in one way or another or about one issue or another. Lord, today take your word and your spirit and just begin to to pry that out of our hearts and out of our lives. And Lord, do the dual work of making us aware of our culpability for our actions, but giving us hope through the cross that we can overcome because of Jesus. Fill me with your spirit this morning. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Use your word in a mighty way in all of our lives. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Now Paul preached the gospel, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And, and what this means is that we aren't saved by any number of good things that we start doing, and we aren't saved by any number of bad things that we stop doing. Instead, we are saved through faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Now that's, that's where our salvation lies, holy on Christ. Well, now that led a lot of people, particularly Jewish folks, to, to accuse Paul of saying that what grace was then was a license to sin. Now, the argument that they made went something like this. Well, since I'm not under the law, and, and since I'm not saved by what I do or what I don't do, and grace covers my sins and I'm free to just live however I want to live and do whatever I want to do, because, praise the Lord, there's grace that's greater than all of my sin. Well, chapter 6 is Paul's defense against this false idea. And as he argues against this idea, he explains that, it, that it's a bogus idea and it, and it flows from a, a weak understanding of the gospel. Right? That, that, that a person who would say, well, grace covers my sin so I can live however I want... Well, that person really has a weak understanding of what Jesus did on the cross. That that person really has a, a weak understanding of the power of what was accomplished there. They have a weak understanding of the practical implications on our day-to-day -day lives that this has. So in the first 10 or 11 verses, Paul explains that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are, we are dead to sin. That being dead to sin, that doesn't mean that, that sin isn't there and it doesn't pull at us. Instead, what he's talking about is that we are, we are dead to slavery to sin. Right? Because the Bible says prior to coming to Christ, well, in that moment, in that time, we were slaves to sin. Right? We, we were in bondage under that. But now we're dead to that slavery and we have been set free. And a part of being set free is that we are free to live for the glory of God. Right? We are free to live lives of holiness and purity and righteousness. We are free to live in a way that caused people to say, glory to God. Look at the change He has made in that person's life. And after spending 11 verses explaining this, He launches into the practical application that is our text for today. And as you look at our text, there are two ideas that should jump out. 
Right? The first is the idea of choice. Right? Look at verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That, that's a choice. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That's a choice. He goes on, rather present yourselves to God being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That's a choice. He says in verse 14, for for sin shall not have dominion over you. That's a choice. In verse 17, he says that that there was a time when we were slaves to sin, but we made a choice and we obeyed the gospel and we were delivered from that. And in verse 18, we were set free from sin. We became slaves to righteousness. And so now in verse 19, he says that we used to make the choice of presenting our members of slaves to unrighteousness and lawlessness. Now we should choose to present our members as slaves to righteousness For holiness. All of that is a choice. That we make these choices about who or what we're going to serve. That we make a choice about what we're going to do in the lives that we live. Now the other idea that should jump out is the idea of slavery or serving. I mean it's all throughout here. But all throughout this passage Paul talks about serving something. Or serving someone, being a slave to one thing or a slave to another. Right? So, so you and I, we have a choice in life. And a part of that choice is we will choose to serve someone. And we will choose to serve something. Right? I mean, we will choose. We will choose. And that choice will involve who we serve or what we serve. So that's the main idea. I choose who or what I serve. And I put it that way so that when we write it down, if you take notes and you write it down, really take that to heart. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you choose Who or what you serve. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I choose who or what I serve. That's the main theme Paul has in this particular passage. Jesus has freed us from slavery to sin. So now we are free. And it's a freedom to choose who or what we'll serve and live for in our lives. We're just going to kind of walk through this passage and look at the different stuff that Paul says that will drive home this point so that we will hopefully, at the end, we will do two things. We will understand and accept the responsibility that as believers, I choose who or what I serve. And then we will choose to serve Jesus. But that, that's... It's all I'm wanting to convince you of today. Those two things. We choose who or what we serve. Choose Jesus. So first in verse 12, Paul says that we have, uh, since we have died to sin through our union with Christ, we are not to let sin reign in our lives. Now this also, do not let sin, I mean that's a choice, but it's an act of the will. Based upon our knowledge of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Right? It, it is saying... Okay, sin is at work in me. It is struggling to come out. I recognize the struggles there. I feel it. But Jesus Christ has made it so that I don't have to give in to it. And so I'm not going to let it reign in my life. Now, this isn't necessarily going to be easy. Because the struggle against sin is always going to be there. I would love to tell you that when we're saved, we are freed from all unrighteous desires. But that's just not the world that we live in. That's not what even what we're promised in Scripture. So the struggle will be there. Sin is always going to tempt us. It is always going to pull at us. It is always going to seek to prevent us from living the life that Christ intends for us to live. 
So the desire for sin is always going to be there. We, we will always have sinful pleasures that pull at us in our life. Receiving Christ as Savior and Lord does not cause our desires for sin to suddenly cease. They will be there. But we are to actively resist them. And thanks to Jesus, we can actively resist them. We, we can not sin. Right? Jesus has set us free in such a way that when that temptation comes up, whatever it is, we can say no. It's a choice that we make. Now the word Paul uses is important. He uses the word, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And you should picture from this, sin as a, a brutal tyrant that wants to rule over your life. It's not, a, it's not a ruler that wants to coexist with another ruler. But sin is not going to coexist with Christ. It will not allow that. Sin is not content to have part of your life. And it's not even that sin wants to just kind of guide the general direction of your life. Sin wants to cruelly and oppressively dominate and control every aspect of your life. That's what we're struggling against. We're not necessarily struggling against just one-time actions. That, that We struggle against that. But we are struggling against the all-out rule of sin in our lives. And if we are to win the struggle, we must fight. We, we must not let sin have this kind of power in our lives. He, he says in verse 13... That we should not present our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now, members as parts of our body. And so we are, we are not to let any part of our body be used for sin. And he, he uses the word present, which I thought was interesting. Because the picture of present isn't struggle and lose. I lost the fight. The picture of present... It is saying, here I am. Take any part of my body you want and, and use it for whatever sinful purposes you want. I mean, we have to really kind of think about all that this would encompass because, it, again, it's all of the body. It is our eyes, our brain, our ears, our hands, our tongue, our feet, and, and all of our body. Think about the many ways that we can give, we can present our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Right? We, could, we can present our minds to scheme and lust. We can present our eyes to look with pride and judgment. We can present our tongues to criticize, gossip, and tell obscene stories. We can present our ears to, to hear these things. Now, I want to stop on this one just a second because often I've heard people say, well, I don't gossip, but I don't mind listening to it. And I would say, you might ought to read Proverbs 17.4. Because Proverbs 17.4 says something about the character of the person that listens to gossip. And it's bad. We can present our feet to walk into sin, our hands to take part in sin, our bodies to stir up lust in others, or our heart to store up the desire for any of these things, or to harbor bitterness or unforgiveness in our lives. That's just some of the ways that, that we could present our members to be instruments of unrighteousness. The actual list somewhat endless. But the idea is we must not present any part of our bodies. We must not allow any part of our bodies to become instruments of unrighteousness that serve sin. Because again, remember, sin is not content to just coexist. Sin wants to dominate and control. When we give one part of ourselves over to serve sin, it uses that as a launching point to then kind of attack, a, do a full-scale attack centered on dominance of our whole lives. 
And I think we can probably all say that we've seen that in people. I mean, take let's take just pornography. It's just a, a thing. Pornography initially is just kind of your, your eyes and your mind, right? You're, you're looking and you're thinking. But the reality is most people who look at pornography for any length of time, they don't stop with pornography. But pornography leads to adultery. Pornography leads to all of these other things. So what started with the mind, what started with the eyes, eventually involves the whole body. Then, then if, if you're an adulterer and you're, you have to cover up so your, your mouth, your line, I mean, sin dominates your whole, your whole body. It doesn't have to be something like that. It can be anything. But once we give any one part of our body over to sin, it has a, a foothold in our lives. And it will use that foothold to launch into other areas of our lives to control that. Until before we know it, our whole lives are lived, dominated by sin. Now Paul says rather than, than giving our members to be instruments of unrighteousness, we are to, to give ourselves to God as being alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. Right? We are to, to say to God, here, Jesus, here I am. Use any part of my life for your purposes and for your glory. Right? And, and we do this as people who are alive from the dead. Right? Because I'm spiritually alive, Jesus has given me life. Now I can go to Him and say, use me. Here I am, Lord. All of me, take it and use it for your glory to accomplish your purpose. In the world, but again, this is the choice. Who we present and who we surrender to. Now the ways that we could present our members as instruments of righteousness and devotion to Christ are, are, are just as many as we can do it to sin. We can surrender our minds and think on things that are right, true, good, and pure, and, and all the other things Philippians 4.8 says to do. Right, we can surrender our eyes to Jesus so that we can see the needs of those around us like He did. Right, we can surrender our tongues to tell people about Jesus. Our ears to listen to the hurts and the burdens that people carry. Our feet to take us to people in need. Our bodies to just, our hands to help the hurting, our, our bodies to show God's greatness. Through our devotion to Him and our, our heart to be pure. So that our desires sync up with His desires. And again, it's endless. The number of ways that we can do this. But it's a matter of what we surrender ourselves to. Who we present ourselves to. But as, as those who have been born again... What we must do is present ourselves to Jesus and our members as instruments of righteousness to accomplish His purpose. I mean, this, this is very much part of the reason He saved us to begin with. Look at what Paul says. Do you not know that your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you now have from God. Notice this. And you are not your own. Think about that. As a believer in Jesus Christ. You are not your own. Your body. Your mind. Your eyes. Your hands. Your feet. Your ears. Your mouth. Your desires. They no longer belong to you. They belong to the Lord. Who bought you at a price. If we had time we'd go to Peter. We'd look at Peter and say the price that we were bought with. Wasn't with perishable things like gold and silver. But with the, the precious blood of Christ. So what's the result? Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit. Which are God's. 
We have been bought with a hefty price. So we must seek to honor and glorify Jesus with our bodies because they belong to Him. And that's huge. I mean, we just don't like to think about others being able to make demands on our lives. That's just not a part of, I don't know if it's a human thing, just the, the sinful rebellion thing, or if it's maybe just the, the, the American we're free and no one's going to tell me what to do thing, but the idea that someone outside of me has demands, can make demands on my life, well, we're not typically good with that. Yet when we come to Christ and we receive the salvation that He, he died to provide, it gives Him the right To make demands on our lives. And part of what he demands is that we live in a way that glorifies him. And and this is key. He gets to choose what glorifies him. We don't even get to say, well, I think this will glorify him. No. He demands that we present ourselves to him and live for a way that brings him glory and honor. And then he demands that he be the one to determine what brings him glory and honor. So what we must do is we must surrender every part of our lives to Jesus. Because he has bought us. We are his. He goes on and he says that the reason we should do this is because sin's not supposed to have dominion over us. Right? It, it shall not. Have dominion over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. This is kind of a a neat point that he's making. One of the reasons sin has dominion over us is because under the law, you kind of live in a, I need to be good enough, but I'm not kind of mindset. Those who are in the law are are always struggling to be good enough. And yet they live constantly with the realization that they're not. And despite all of their grappling and all of their groaning, their lives are filled with disappointment and discouragement in regards to their serving of Jesus because they've never quite met the standard. Those who live under the law constantly feel unacceptable. To God. Who am I? Who am I? They feel unworthy to come to God because of what they've done and how they've failed to meet the standard. And the reality is, when someone feels unworthy to come to God, they typically stop trying to come to God. And it leaves them outside of a relationship with God. And they feel this way because of what it's like to live under the law. Living under the law is it's living and dying by a list of do's and don'ts. Now, the do's and don'ts may vary. Sometimes they vary from church to church. If you have a, a church that's doing that, or they vary from person to person or family to family. But it's a things of good things you're supposed to do and bad things you're not supposed to do. And you, you check your box, and as long as you do your do's and you do... Don't do your don't, you're you're typically pretty good to go. But that's a burden. Having to constantly check your box and and meet the list. But it's also a burden because living under the law is realizing that we don't perfectly do our do's. And we don't perfectly not do our don'ts. And so there's just a, a constant sense of condemnation that hangs over those who live under the law. Because in honest moments, anyone who's just trying to be good enough, they recognize they they haven't really met even their own standard of righteousness. They, They failed to do things even they thought they should have done, much less what the Bible lays out. So there's just always this, even if it's not at the top and the forefront of our minds of condemnation, the back of our minds, there's just this sense of dread. Because I just haven't met it. And what that leads to is living with no certainty 
bar salvation. I mean, because if if you're living by the do's and the don'ts, and you know you haven't always done the do's, you know you've not always not done the don'ts, how do you know if you've done enough do's? How do you know if you haven't, if you've resisted enough don'ts? What if I should have done three more things? What if I should have resisted two more things? Right? And so there's no certainty with salvation. Just kind of a, a need to do more. And that leads to really just kind of living as a slave. Seeking to escape punishment. One of the main ways you see the difference in the law and grace in, the, in people's lives, what they live under is in why they do what they do. Not because even if you live under grace, you kind of have a list of do's and don'ts in your life, but why do you do your do's? Why do you not do your don'ts? For those under the law, they, they do it in fear. Because they're afraid if they don't do their do's, God will break their leg or He'll burn their house down. Something bad will happen. I, I'll tell you a way. To kind of give you an idea to see if you think, if you live in this way in any, any mindset at all. If you're going to go on a big trip or you've got something massive coming up in your life, big important thing, do you try to be just extra good that week? You know, read just a few more verses of scripture, pray just a little bit harder. What are you doing? You're, you're hedging your bet. You're, you're trying to do just a little bit more. Right? To earn God's favor. Look at all I've done, God. Let me be safe on my trip. Look at all I've done, God. Let my test result come back good. Right? That's, that's living under the law. We're, we're trying to earn it from God. So what that leads to is a misguided perception that we're only acceptable to God when we do our do's and we don't do our don'ts. So a person living under the law... I mean, have a good day. Do their do's, not do their don'ts. I mean, they'll feel really close to God that day. Woo, I love God, God loves me. We are so close. But a bad day is just around the corner. I mean, there's only, there's always just, you know, the coffee maker didn't work and you don't have any coffee to start your day and that sets things off in a bad way just to begin with, right? And then before you know it, you've, you've done a few things you shouldn't have done. You didn't do a few things you were supposed to do. Oh, well... Now, me and God, we're, we're kind of, our relationship isn't what it's supposed to be now. I'm, I'm not acceptable. I've got to earn my way back into His favor. I've got to, to work harder to, to get back to where I should be. That's a, a life under the law. But that's not how we're supposed to live. Not because we've been saved. We've been redeemed. We have been delivered from that. We are under grace, not under the law. We live in the freedom of grace. So what does it mean to, to live in the freedom of grace? Well, we're free from checklist Christianity. But again, there are things we probably want to do. Like, like for me, I'll say me. Do's. I want to read my Bible and pray every day. Right? Uh, that's a part, that's a do that, that's important to me. But... I'm going to confess something here. Okay. Hope this is a safe place. Some days I don't do that. Some days, for whatever reason, sleep late, don't get up in time to pray, and I'll convince myself I'll do it later. Doesn't happen. Come home, you start to read my daily Bible reading, stuff happens, Netflix or something, and then don't do it. Now, I don't like it when I do that. But I don't feel condemned when I do that either. My relationship with Jesus and my salvation, it's not built upon me being sure I read the Bible enough every day. I'm not saved because I read my Bible and pray every day. I read my Bible and pray because I'm saved. And that's a huge difference. So you still have your checklist. But you're not enslaved by it. 
It's just kind of a guide for how you want to live your life and you do it that way because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. We're free, forever free of condemnation. This is so huge. If you live under the constant sense of being condemned and memorize Romans 8 1, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. One of the, the most amazing things for me was 1 John 2, 1 and 2, right? Paul says, or John says, I, I write these things that you don't sin. So there's the standard, don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Who is the propitiation for our sins. Not ours only, but for the whole world. Think about that. What's the standard? Don't sin. But what if we do? Does Jesus turn against us? No. In that moment, in that time, He is our advocate. How awesome is that? A believer in Jesus Christ is never condemned. We are forever freed from that. Believe that. We're free from the fear of judgment and certain of our salvation. I mean, it is possible to live with certainty. I am saved and going to heaven when I die. Not, it's not arrogant. It's not prideful. It's just taking the Bible at face value when the Bible says you can know that you're saved. And we're free to, to serve God out of love instead of fear. And there's a big difference. Serving God because you're afraid He's going to break your leg, burn down your house, or do something bad to you. That's a miserable way to live. To serve God because you love Him and He loves you. That's life-changing there. I mean, that's life-giving. When you serve out of fear, you're miserable. Serving drains you. It, It just sucks the vitality out of your life. Serving out of love is life-giving, refreshing, energizing to you even. And then we're free to enjoy a relationship with God because we are accepted in Christ. My acceptance before the Father has never been based upon my goodness. And it never will be. I'll never be good enough to be accepted. Thankfully, Jesus was good enough in my place. And so I'm accepted because of Him. And that is a joyful relationship. Think about it like your marriage. How happy is your marriage if you're constantly living under the fear that if you do just one wrong, wrong thing, or you don't do this one right thing, your spouse is going to pack up and leave you. Is that a healthy, happy marriage? No. No, it's a miserable marriage. But what about where you just, you still want to do your do's and don't do your don'ts for your spouse, but because you love them. You want to please them and you want them to be pleased with you. Well, that's joyful. That is a wonderful thing. That's a healthy marriage. It's the same in our relationship with God. We are accepted in Christ. So we're just free to enjoy that relationship. Now, Paul anticipates people saying, well, by what you're saying, then we'll just go out and go hog wild into sin because, hey, there's no condemnation. Hey, everything's going to be okay. So he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. I think the King James says, God forbid. And the reason not, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves, whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to death? To righteousness. No, we're not going to continue to live in sin because we're we're under grace because we don't want to be slaves to sin anymore. 
No, we, we don't want sin to enslave us and, and dominate our lives. Now, Paul says we are serving and slaves either to God or to sin. But we are slaves to something. But when we present ourselves to to sin, to become that slave, we we begin to just kind of to ruin our lives, so to speak. We, we, we go away from all that God has and all that God wants for us. Now, I was thinking about that because I think it would be easy enough for us to, to take that and say slavery to sin would be, you know, really gross immorality, really vile sin. So when we think about Slavery to sin. We tend to think of in terms of like homosexuality or drug addiction or alcoholism or fornication or some other big sin. And sure, sure that is being a slave to sin. But we don't have to be enslaved to those sins to still be a slave to sin. Anytime we, we let our sinful nature rule in our lives, we're enslaved to that sin. Right? So when I I choose to let my pride make me feel superior, look down on others. I'm, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When I choose to gossip, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When I eagerly listen to gossip, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When I choose to look at people with judgment in my heart, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When I choose to criticize, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When I look at pornography, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When I choose to be greedy, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When I choose to be selfish, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. When when I choose to obey my sinful nature in any way, I'm demonstrating slavery to sin. So, it's it's a way bigger than what we often think of it as. There's two two truths that stand out here that we have to see. And the first is that because of Jesus, we have a choice to who we obey. That's a big part of the wording. To whom you present yourself, that's one the one you become the slave to, right? So, as a believer, I can choose. I can choose that, or I can choose Jesus. But but it is a choice that I'm going to make. And since Jesus has freed me and given me this power of choice, it is always my choice. Now that's hard for the it's not my fault crowd. But it's true, nonetheless. A believer in Jesus Christ never gets to say, I couldn't help it when it comes to sin. Because according to Scripture, yes, we could have. We always make that choice. So when we become slaves to sin in some way, it is because we have chosen to become a slave to sin. Now the the implication from this is that we can choose not to sin. Just as I can choose to sin, in that moment of temptation, I can choose not to sin. I can choose to do what what Jesus wants me to do. that's, That's a that should be a powerful and freeing truth to our lives. Because the temptation, for me anyway, temptation feels strong and overwhelming. But to remember the truth that Jesus has set me free so that I can say no to that sin and yes to Him, that is powerful. That is freeing. That is amazing. Now the temptations, they'll be there. The desire to sin will at times be there. But we never have to be controlled by them. Ever. And if we are controlled by them, it is always, always because we've chosen to be. Write down Romans 8, 9. 
in Romans 8, 12. And, and look at those later. The, the overall idea is that because of the Spirit of God living within us, we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. It just further goes into what Paul said here. Now, something else we have to notice from verse 16 is that our choices have consequences. Right? Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that person's slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Our choices always have consequences. When we choose sin... And make it our master. The result is always death. The wages of sin is death. Sin always has consequences. And and, and death is that consequence. At the same time, choosing Jesus has consequences. And it's holiness or, or righteousness. When we choose to obey Christ and to follow Him, righteousness is the consequence. Now in the New Testament there are two kinds of righteousness. Positional and practical. Positional is the righteousness we receive when we believe in Jesus Christ. Practical is just because of the way that we live our lives. This passage is speaking about practical righteousness. When we choose Jesus, we choose a life of righteousness. That we just live and do righteously. Now the gospel is what makes all of this possible. Our faith in Christ. Right? Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And have been set free from sin. And became slaves to righteousness. The doctrine to which you were delivered. It was the gospel they Slaves to sin, they heard the gospel about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. They, they obeyed it from the heart. They believed upon Christ and they were delivered from slavery to sin. And it enabled them to become slaves of righteousness. That's an interesting turn of phrase, a slave of righteousness. But I think what it means is a, a lost person, someone that's dead in their sins, Unrighteousness, sin is, is the natural, just the natural thing in their life. So we shouldn't be surprised when unbelievers live sinful lives. That shouldn't surprise us. That's what unbelievers are going to do. And what this means is that the natural way for the believer, it's not unrighteousness anymore. Now it's a righteous life. But when when believers live for Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised. Because that's the way that we're naturally supposed to live now that we have been born again. In verse 19, Paul says, he's using the term slave and master as a way to illustrate this so that we can really grasp what he's talking about. And he restates, for you, you did present your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members of slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now there's something cool about this I want to bring out and we'll close. You presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Right? So when we present ourselves to sin, it leads to more sin. So you do some sin, it leads to more sin. And that leads to more sin and more sin. That's just the way that it goes. But Scripture tells us this all over the place. An evil man is held captive by his own sin. There are ropes that catch and hold him. He'll die for his lack of self-control. He'll be lost because of his great foolishness. Man, this is huge. Because the world tells us that sin is freedom. That the only way to be free is to live to fulfill your every urge. YOLO, baby. You do not want to come back later in life and regret not having done that sin. 
That is freedom. And yet scripture says that is a lie. Sin overpromises and underdelivers every single time. Sin is not an expression of freedom. It is an expression of the worst sort of bondage. And the more that you sin, the deeper and the stronger the bondage becomes. Always. Always. When we present ourselves to sin, it opens the path to more and more and more sin. Till there is no way out, it seems, for us. That's not the life the believer in Jesus Christ is meant to live. We are meant to live as servants or slaves of righteousness for holiness. To to go deeper and more. And and I I think the picture is sort of the same. Sin leads to more sin. Living righteously leads to more righteousness. Right? And again, use the example of, say, reading your Bible and praying. At first, that may seem difficult. Once you begin to do it and begin to meet with God in those times and see how, how sweet that relationship is, it leads to more, a desire to do that more. Right? I mean, and then it just produces other things in your life. The word is, is alive. It's powerful. It produces more and more things in our lives. And so it's just meant that when we surrender to Jesus, it's just going to get better and more and better and more. But in order for that to happen, we, we have to surrender to Jesus. I mean, that, that's really what it boils down to. So today we, we're going to choose, each one of us in our lives, we're going to choose who or what we serve. And we all choose. I mean, there's no, there's no middle ground. Will you choose to serve Jesus or will you choose to serve sin? Again, if you look at this passage, those are the only two options presented. And each of us, we're going to choose one way or the other. And it's kind of a constant, ongoing choice that we make over and over and over. And the choice that we make, it'll have a profound impact on the rest of our lives. Jesus died on the cross in part so that you and I could be free from the power of sin. He didn't die so that we could go to heaven but live enslaved here. What He did on the cross has practical implications for our life today. We can be free from our slavery to sin. Because of what Jesus has done. But we must choose him. We have to yield. Present our members to him and say, Lord, here I am. All of me is yours. Use me how you will. This involves the heart, the mind, and the will. The the mind The mind learns from Scripture what Jesus has done and says, yes, that is awesome. Jesus can free me from slavery to sin. Jesus can make it so that I serve Him in love. Yes! The heart (coughs) says, yes, I want to be free. I want to be made new. I want my desires changed. Then it hinges on the will. 
because the will has to reach out and take hold of what Jesus is offering. Just because we understand what Paul said, that doesn't mean we're living like Paul talked about. There is a difference between illumination, understanding, and living that out in our lives. That there's a difference between saying, yes, that's how it should be, and surrendering to say, that's what it will be with me. And the difference is the will to reach out and to take hold of Jesus. And to say, I, I surrender all to you. So let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes this morning. Do you want Jesus to free you from sin so you can live for Him? And if so, are you ready to fully surrender your life to Him, to present yourself and say, Here I am, Lord, use me as you wish. And if you are, if that's what you desire, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a declaration of your surrender to Jesus. We're going to take a few minutes to pray. If you prayed, if you raised your hand to declare your surrender to Jesus, use this time to pray about that sin that tempts you. Confess it where you've given in to it. Pray for strength for temptation next time it comes up. Pray for Jesus to change your desires so that it no longer appeals to you. Father, I love you today. I love your word. Thankful, Lord, that it teaches us how we can live. Lord, I, I don't want to present my members as instruments of unrighteousness. I, I know I have. The temptations are there. Lord, I'm sorry for all the times that I have given in. And I have demonstrated slavery to sin through my life. Lord, today I, I repent of that. And I, I do say, just here am I. My life is yours. Father, use me to to accomplish your purposes. Use me to bring glory to your name. God, those that raise their hands this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit gives strength, encouragement as they seek to serve and to do the things that you want them to do. Lord, in the moment of temptation, let your Spirit whisper and remind them that they don't have to don't have to take part in that. But Jesus has set them free. Lord, for others that would be here today that did not raise their hands because they're not ready to surrender their lives to you yet. Press on them, Lord. Press on them until they Surrender all 
So they lift up their hands and surrender to you and present themselves to you, Lord. Father, let us all live in the freedom Jesus died to provide. Help us, Father, to do your will in all things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We can have our ushers come at this time. It's a part of the service we give back to God some of what he's given to us.